0: Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. So, today I'm talking to Rebecca Janmum from ICNE Surveyors Limited. You've just started
1: up in business, haven't you, Rebecca? Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I have. And some would say it's an unusual time to start a business. However, I was put on furlough from my previous employer. And it's something I've been toying with for probably the last year or two. And the reason I decided to go for it is just I felt a real lack of control, uh, being put on furlough. I don't like not being busy and I wanted to get some control back and control my environment. And when I was happy to go out and do surveys or the kind of work that I accepted. So, uh, I decided to take the plunge after some very uh, heartfelt conversations with Nick Brown from Ashford, who kept telling me to do it. So I decided to put my finger out and get it done. And you need mentors like that. We need people that we
0: can talk to about setting up on our own. It's one of the things that we talk a lot about in the mastermind group that I'm running that we've just started. We're a couple of weeks in now. And it's working out what's, what's right for you. And you're, you're right about control. You know, when I think about my corporate career and would I ever go back to applying for a, a corporate job? Probably not. You know, the thought of filling out a job application form fills me with horror. Going for an interview <laughs> fills me with horror. And I didn't at first because I didn't think I was, or feel, I didn't feel good enough, which sounds crazy when I say that and look back now. But actually I realized I got to a point where I just outgrown it all. You know, and I was just ready for something different and, you know, things end the way they end. For some people it's furlough, for other it's, you know, other circumstances. But we just outgrow it and we're, we're ready for it. But it is that leap of faith, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you probably get to a stage in, in your career where you, you've been doing it for a number of years and you, you have all the required skill sets, but it's about having that confidence to get out there and do it. And was probably quite influential in my final choice to do it, although we've been talking about it for a long while, Nick, Nick obviously sent up his um, sort of, uh, practice a few years ago and he's doing very well. And he, he, he just kept telling me, You'll, you won't regret it. So far, he's
0: correct. <laughs> and I guess, you know, that means you've got someone to blame. <laughs> Which if Nick if listening.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you like that. Too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, tell me, so tell me a bit about the kind of work that you do. So a lot of the listeners to the podcast work in the residential surveying and valuation sector, but not all. But tell me about the kind of work that you do.
1: Yeah, I have a very different background, actually. So I started in a planning department of all places, and I spent seven years there. And then I moved over into environmental health. And I did quite a big stint with health and safety, food safety, housing, and environmental protection. And that was really interesting, actually. But I, after I completed my building surveying degree, I went into building control because I felt that I was quite weak on the building regs. And I had actually only intended to do that for six months just to get my skills up. But actually, it continued for 16 years.
0: Yeah, do you know, it's really funny where you end up. My work experience at school was in a planning department. When I I was 15, I had uh, had two weeks. I had one week in a planning department and one week in Wrexham Library. Mm -hmm. And... The library was really boring, but it was a nice place that had an art gallery attached to it. And I, I was quite artsy at the time. But the planning department, it was really interesting, but uh, I'd never been in any kind of environment like that before. But you used to go out and visit lots of places. And they paired me with this lovely lady, Kind of can't remember her name, number of years ago now, obviously. But it was the hottest day ever. And we went out to site, uh, looked at something. And on the way back, I fell asleep in the car while she was talking to me. And I really liked planning, but um, it didn't bode well uh, after that. And and I, my job, you know, I joined for three months to get valuation experience, and I was there for now on fifteen years. It's funny where you you end up and you you fall into your groove, don't you? So you were there sixteen years.
1: Yeah, and. You know, if, if you would have asked me at the outset, I would have said, no, I'll move on within six to 12 months because I just want to improve my knowledge. But actually, I think for most people, when they start realizing what's involved, it's actually very technical. And when you start as a career in building control, you probably have two to five years where you make a standard building control officer. And, you know, by that stage, you're, you're pretty good. And then you kind of go up a level and then you realize that actually in the previous two to five years, you didn't know as much as you thought you knew. So I would call that the danger period where you think you know more than you actually do. And when you get into it, and that depends a lot on uh, the people around you and your environment, because it's not something you learn at university. We touched on it very briefly, I think in my building surveying course. And there are very few, if any, uh, building control courses in the country. Now, there was one, I'm not sure if it's still running. There are a couple of NVQs now because there is a skill shortage in the market. But it was the job that you learn on the job and so you needed the experienced mentors to take you out to site and explain things and you needed to study the regulations and read the determinations and appeals and all of those kind of things it's actually very interesting but it's highly technical and and most people just switch off when they hear building regs so I think it takes a special kind of person to
0: well I guess they they switch off or they get really angry and annoyed I guess and you're right it is it is very technical and I wonder, you know, because I've, I take it most of the work is local authority work. So rather than private work, is
1: that? Is a- um, it's, a, it's a mixture of both. So in my career, I started off in local authority, but I only lasted there a year before I got poached by the private sector. And I never really went, well, I did go back, actually. I went back for a year, but I was, and this is not representative of all councils, I'm sure, but I was a bit bored because there wasn't enough work and it was about trying to protect your job and all of those kind of things. And I actually just one of those people that just really likes to get on and do things. So I rewrite all their systems and I still had time to spare and they were still talking that they were understaffed and needed more people. And I just didn't agree. And I, I, I left in the end. I went back to the private sector. And if you work in the private sector, uh, you're busy all the time, um, which is what I like. And um, now that I've set up my own company, I'm probably I've been talking to a couple of councils about helping them with some building control work and but, but also private inspectors. So I'll probably do a bit of both. So I'm subcontracting at the moment for a couple of people that um, need me for, for um, site inspections or to do plan check reports, those kind of things, or just to, just to help out and look at the systems and overview because I've had a few issues, which is, is quite interesting. And has it changed much since Grenville? Yeah, there's been quite a big change since Grenfell. Whenever you have, I mean, it's always been retrospective, and it always responds to a disaster. So uh, before Grenfell, we had Ronan Point, where half the block disappeared, or the corner of the block disappeared, due to a gas explosion, and that's where we saw a really big change in the regulations in terms of disproportionate collapse for tall buildings. And Grenfell's the same. We're we're not at the end of that road yet. There there is more change to come, and It's quite fast-paced for people who are not heavily involved in it. So I think at the moment, you could easily be left behind by the updates. But there are some really good CPDs out there that people are doing. But yeah, there's been huge change, and there will be huge change to come. And I think anybody that's involved in uh, high-rise buildings, and originally everybody knew that it was 18 metres they concentrated on. But actually, from November this year, for example, the if you're over 11 metres, you're going to have to have sprinklers. And that used to be 30 metres. So there was no halfway house on that. Um, It was 30 metres and it's dropping straight to 11. And you'll start seeing more types of building coming into that. So at the moment, it's high rise, it's residential. Hotels are not included in that, but I think that will come in. And I think you'll start seeing lower rise buildings, but higher risk buildings such as hospitals and those kind of things starting to come into that method of control. The whole system is going to change at some point in the future. At the moment, you go for planning. It takes a while, and then you apply for your building regs the day before you start on site. That's generally what happens, which doesn't give anybody much time to do anything. Mm. And when you have to consider the access for the fire service, which is probably the most critical thing, that should really be considered at planning stage. And that will be one of the major changes that's coming in. Some of these bigger problems, these bigger layout problems, are going to be considered much earlier in the process, and that's a good thing.
0: One of the things surveyors. Struggle with, I guess, or or I have apprehensive about, is how much of the building regs do you need to know? So for many of us, it's more of a case of yes, we need to know some information, but we can't know the book inside and out. But we need to know enough to be able to alert a purchaser or a homeowner, you know, or a legal advisor to, you know, there might be a problem and investigate further. And it's always a very tricky line because for me personally, building regulations seems like an absolute minefield and it changes. And as I understand, it was only, it's only applicable or, or right at the time of the regulation, which could be changed later. And if you go to a property that's old, you know, and then it's had later alterations and things like that, and it's really, as you can tell, it's a while since I've done that, I looked at that, but my view is it's just been really complicated. And When there's things like like that from a surveyor going to a a property or a building, I guess some approach is either just switch off and pass the buck or, you know, sort of pass it on. Or for others, they start to research and sort of do a bit more. And it's a really difficult line for surveyors to navigate and they don't always get the the help and support that they
1: need. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a complex area and it is not straightforward at all. You have some weird situations such as change of use. Where not all of the regulations apply and most people are unaware of that. Even, even when you start out in building control, most of the building control officers aren't aware of that. And then you get to a situation where you, you've always got this proviso of you no know, less compliant than it was previously. And like you say, the regulations change all the time. So you need to be aware of when the dates change. To be honest, I wouldn't expect any, any building surveyor to have a working knowledge of the building regs in that regard. It's very complex. I think you would know the basics. And there are certain things, I guess, you can look out for, such as your two meters over the, the stairs, handrails, those kind of things. And the most common one, I think, that people might not even realize with need building regulation consent is where people open up their stairwall into their accommodation on the ground floor, but they've got uh, loft conversions, those kind of things. Or, you know, it's, it's all about this protected route, but you need to have an understanding of fire strategy because that may be okay. Have they got a misting system? Have they got an enhanced alarm system? So, in actual fact, you may end up surveying a property that, on the face of it, doesn't comply with building regulations. but behind the scenes, and information that you will never be able to get hold of because it's not public information, may be a bespoke fire strategy for that property. And you can get them for small domestic houses as well as other buildings where something has been agreed which is outside the normal scope of the regulations and. There's no reason why you would know that. And I think probably the easiest thing to do is, if you have any suspicions at all, is just request the planning and the building control history from the solicitor to make sure that any modifications that have taken place to that building have the right consents in place. And pretty much any modification is going to need building control consent. So I think you can probably just be really cautious and suggest that they, they seek consent. Uh, authority from the planning department or the building control department. <coughs> well, oh, the, yeah. the trouble with the planning records is that they are public records. You can search the planning history, you can look at quite a lot of documents, but you cannot do that with building control. That's not a public record. So actually, the only people that can really get hold of that information is the homeowner or the solicitor acting for them.
0: One of the things I think is really important for surveyors and, 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 and valuers arguably going forward is that you know, we've got the new Home Survey Standard, which is being brought in by the RICS in December 2020. We're recording this at the end of June. And I think there's real opportunity for surveyors to have a much better working relationship with solicitors and conveyancers who are working on behalf of the purchaser when you've got the same client. I definitely think that's a relationship that can be explored because we have a lot of passing between each other yeah. And, um, you know, is, sign this off. Is this okay? No, refer it back to your legal advisor. Oh, no, refer it back to the surveyor to say, is it okay? And actually, I think that's a big area that would really help homeowners, you know, understand more about their property and uh, and, and sort of feel reassured and it would definitely help. So I think that's a real opportunity there. When you talk about building regulations, and I'm, you know, I remember when I was in a student, I had a huge book. I can't, I can't remember what it was called. It might have been a ch- by Chudley, I think. I can't remember. And um, I remember it was a big book and I labelled it all out. And and you just sort of talking about that. Is it a bit like taxi drivers and the knowledge? (laughs) Yeah. I like that analogy. <laughs> is that what it's like? You 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 get over years, you get to know all the secret back routes and to understand yes. all of
1: it, because it feels really absolutely. <laughs> like a minefield yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so actually one of the most important things we say to uh, architects or builders that give us a submission is, Please give us the existing layout because there are certain things that we can be more lenient on if there's an existing situation and we, we know what they are and how far we can go. But unless you give us that information, we're going to apply the full force of the regulation. So uh, most most building control authorities and private inspectors will, will work with you to find a solution and try to get the best outcome, still being in compliance with the regulations. So you're now
0: uh, working for yourself. You've had this nice long career of getting to where you are today. How did you start out? What influenced you? Because there's not many of us women who run our own businesses who work in this kind of sector. What were your early influences?
1: Um, Well, I have to start with my dad, really. He was a civil engineer for a local authority and he worked originally on the railways, but then laterally in the highways department. And it was nothing he really said. He didn't sit me down and give me a big talk or anything. It was just the way he was with me all the time. He was always taking things apart and was curious and putting things back together. And I just followed him around. I was interested and he encouraged me to do that. He, you know, I think, I think actually my brother didn't do that so much because he wasn't interested and that might have been a bit of a disappointment for him. And, and maybe we would have vied for attention had that been the case. But actually, I got all of that attention and I loved it. So really, that kind of was my early influence on my career. And then that was when I was 16 and I went straight out to work and I, I did my degree later. I, I didn't enjoy school so much, so I just wanted to get out and earn money. And then I wanted to go back to university later. But I have to say that I was also incredibly lucky at the time that I left school there was a lot of opportunity. My brother, being three years younger, struggled with the recession that was hitting at the time. So we had a very different career path. And I was very lucky. I did my work experience in an architect's office. And they put my name forward to a local authority planning department because their architect went, uh, they stole their their um, employee. So they said, I guess, do you know anybody? And they said, well, you know, we've had to her from work experience and she was all right. I assume. And they ran me and I went and got the job. So that was, you know, an amazing start, which was very different to my brother's YTS years. And I think that seven years in planning, it was okay. But then I started to think I needed to develop a, more of a career path. And I wanted to do the building surveying degree. And luckily, they were also paying for me to do an H&C at the Suffolk College at that time. And then I never really looked back. And I think probably one of the big influences on my career later was actually a lady, Karen Turton. She set up Turton Body Control, but she was also the first female approved inspector in her own right in the country. And we met by chance on a seminar that Nottingham City Council were running on BS9999. And it's so typical of the environment. I mean, all throughout university, there were two or three girls on the course. And in this room full of building control professionals, there was me, Natalie, and Karen. They're the only three, and there were probably 50 people in the room. And that's been quite quite an ongoing theme, actually. But Karen was very influential on in my career, and I learned a huge amount from her. And then uh, I moved geographically, so I kind of moved around a bit. And then I ended up working for a chap called Michael Wadud, who was actually Uh, former president of the CABE Chartered Association of Building Engineers and what I learned from Michael was his management style and it didn't matter how busy he was he always stopped what he was doing and had a chat with you if you came over to talk to him and in the morning when we came in he always said right come on team let's go and have a coffee and it's just so refreshing just to take that time out and kind of devote it to his team so you know, he's, he's also had quite an influence on me about taking people's time seriously. And then latterly, uh, probably I've got Nick to blame for, for getting me out on my own. <laughs> so important to have those role
0: models and supporters as you as you go through. As I sort of do these podcasts and talk to different people, everybody remembers who, who gave them that just a little bit of time. And, you know, they probably didn't realise they were doing a lot of it. But just that little bit of time as you as you go through, it would really just make a difference. You mentioned CABE and you're a CABE member, but you're not an RICS member yet, are you? Tell me a bit about that. Is, is it something that's needed in your sort of sector? Um, Tell me a bit about
1: that. Okay, so when I finished my degree and I went into building control, I didn't join CABE for probably two years. I was planning to join RICS, but actually having been in the building regulation environment cave uh, was much more applicable at the time in terms of building regulations and it was what everybody was asking for so I joined and became a chartered uh, building engineer and I never really needed RICS. I always intended to do it but like everything you know it's one of those things that you will you plan to get around to but perhaps don't and the longer I stayed in building control the less I needed it however now that I've set up my own business I do think particularly with surveying it's kind of the, the accepted standard and so therefore I am actually applying right now to be a member of RICS and I'm going to go in on the experienced route uh, due to my past career. So that's why I delayed it really.
0: Well, that's good to hear and I look forward to you being part of the institution and membership. <laughs> Thank you. We need more women, absolutely. <laughs> so tell me about the kind of work that you've been doing. So you were on furlough, you've set up your, your own business you know, it's not a great time to start a business, but then equally, yes, it is, because it gives you a bit of time to just sort things out. What kind of work have you been doing? I mean, have you been working during lockdown and uh, and things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been doing a mostly commercial, uh, but some residential work. That's probably where most of my background is in, in commercial premises, although I do flat. So I did domestic to start off with. I uh, haven't done it for a long while, but I can do it. But yeah, commercial buildings. So the ones I've been looking at recently, I've been looking at some student accommodation of flats and a conversion into a hotel. That was for a building control company. But I've also been doing some warranty inspections and they tend to be on single houses or sometimes flats, but sometimes also commercial buildings. So I've been doing a bit of that. And I've also been working with Nick on a couple of defect surveys uh, where there's been a problem. And actually, that's been really useful for both of us, I think, because Nick's obviously got the experience on the building surveying side. And obviously, although I'm qualified, I haven't done it for a long time. But what I bring with me is the technical knowledge of the standards and requirements that would be expected on the building regs. So we're kind of joining forces a bit on that. And that's working really well, I think, for both of us. And it's it's very rewarding. So we, we learn a lot from each other. And I think probably going forward, the work will vary and it will be more building surveying based. But I think because I've spent so long in building control, it's hard for me to kind of just, I don't want to shake it off completely, but it's hard for me to move away from it because I've had lots of people asking me to do things for them. And that's the problem, that it's under-resourced. So you know i've got a very strong background in that but i'm doing i'm doing other things i'll be doing cdm and party wall uh, clock of works i've um, got Clark of works inspection next week so it's quite varied and that's what i like what i like is a bit of variety i think when you've been doing something for a long time you need you need to mix it up a bit
0: and it takes you a little while to find your groove and explore the kind of work that you that you want to do you know, but equally, you've got a lot of experience in building control. So why would you throw that out? And actually, a lot of surveyors need that kind of support. They need the, that that go to. How have you found inspections with sort of COVID and PPE and and things like that? How have you found that
1: it's been quite interesting? I mean, buildings. Anybody who's been to a construction site will know that generally the toilets are areas to be avoided at all costs, and the you know, the canteen is 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 dusty. It's full well of has walked in mud and dirt that's dried and is now dusty and there's all kinds of materials laying all over the place so they're difficult sites to to manage on the covid risk when you're visiting and i think unless you have a one-way system on the construction sites it's really difficult to manage the space distance as well and there have been a couple of sites and i have to say probably not so much during construction but on completion when you've got people everywhere and perhaps a less formalised COVID policy, it's very easy suddenly to become face-to-face with somebody that you weren't expecting in that building. And there's, I, I did a, a final inspection on a block of flats that had a very narrow entrance, and there was a rear escape route. Everybody was supposed to be out whilst I was doing my inspection. And I was walking around with one other person But by the end of the inspection, there were probably four or five people back in the building. And it led to a point where we were kind of gridlocked in a corridor and trying to work out how we could get past each other, still observing the two metre distancing rule. So it's very difficult. And I would say that probably the vast majority of standard construction workers don't really seem to be taking it that seriously, which is a bit concerning. And I just think as surveyors, you have to really push that and enforce it. I had to stop somebody coming towards me, actually had to put my hand out to stop him coming closer. And that's happened quite frequently. And even sometimes with homeowners, they just don't seem to, they remember initially, but then they relax. And it gets forgotten. So you have to be alert to it the whole time. And that's quite difficult, quite emotionally and mentally draining to do that because people can be upset if they're challenged a little bit on it. So you have to manage that process. But that's on top of the fact that you've also had to get there. So you've either driven in your car and you've got everything in your car and you've got all your hand gel and having the extra bits and pieces that you need with you. Spare gloves in case you break them, spare masks in case the things snaps the loop around your ear. And that's happened several times. But uh, I had a visit in Liverpool where I had to do three burden control inspectors, inspections for a private company. And I couldn't drive there because it's too far away. I couldn't drive there and back in one day. But I equally couldn't spread it over two days because I couldn't stay over anywhere. So in the end, I had to go by train. But you have to wear a mask on the train so I spent four hours four and a half hours on the journey there wearing a mask and six hours on, on the train on the way back wearing a mask because the train got delayed so that that's very uncomfortable and the next day you know it just adds to the fatigue of the day really wearing that kind of thing it was hot it's uncomfortable but the thing that did make me laugh as soon as I got on the train they announced that the cafe was open and that beers wines and spirits and, and teas and coffees were being served and this was at five o'clock in the morning which I thought was a little early start on the beer and wine but equally I didn't really understand how you could drink or eat anything on the train as you were wearing a mask so yeah it's challenging but I think you know you just have to give it a lot of thought beforehand.
0: Yeah do you know what we've just got to be sensible about these things you know it will change it will get worse it will get better but our whole approach to to safety I think will really change as an industry going forward. And a lot of surveyors, you know, we always have to do a risk assessment before we do a job or enter a property or, or a site. And hopefully it will help, you know, sort of ensure that people do that. And you, you're right, you, that you don't forget. But I think one of the challenging things for a lot of surveyors is just, as you said, you know, sort of halfway through, you get a bit of creep of extra people coming in or, thing, or homeowners, you know, want a cup of tea, you know, <laughs> all of that is, is just to hold those boundaries. And that can be quite, quite hard to remember to, to do that.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I, I saw uh, an article in the paper yesterday. It's not related to surveying, but it's just a reminder that this could happen anywhere, even if you're going to an empty site. So this lady discovered that somebody had been living in her storage cupboard in her motorhome this, she went in there and she found some a bottle of cider and some sleeping material. But you could, you know, you could stumble across somebody that's occupying that building when you hadn't realised it. I mean, that that was a motorhome, but this could happen anywhere, and that's that's something to bear in mind as well. Do
0: you know, as surveyors, very often we'll go to a property, we'll tell it's empty, and it turns out it's being let, or you know, somebody's mates is just staying over and looking after it. The number of times when I was a surveyor, I would walk in. And find somebody in bed, and they jump up their skin. I would jump up my skin to leave the building, and uh, you know it, it happens. But and it, you know it's sort of part of the job. But you've got to be alert, as uh, Boris says. But yeah, you know, and just having that confidence to, to stand up to people and to be more aware of where you're at—it's really, um, it's really important going forward. So you've got this business that you've started. You've had sort of quite a a varied career in terms of your up and down and your experience what's gone right for you and what have you learned from in terms of things that you might do differently
1: i I think the most important thing is to to have a positive outlook and i I think i'm quite a positive person and that's probably been quite beneficial in my career bad things have happened they've happened to everyone uh both professionally and personally but you've just got to kind of learn from that Take it on the chin, deal with it and move on and make the best of what you've got. There is no point in constantly revisiting some mistake that you've made. Everybody makes mistakes. And the important thing is that you learn from them. So I think even some very negative experiences can actually be positive in the longer run. So being on furlough, I found initially quite a negative experience, but I've ended up starting my own business where you may have made an error in the past. It's not so much about the mistake, it's how you rectify it afterwards and how you deal with it going forward. Because most people just want a solution to a problem. So it can certainly be challenging. And at the time, it sometimes feels like the end of the world. But actually, I think having that positive outlook and that constant uh, feedback loop in your head about, I could have done this differently. Perhaps, you know, on the next time I have this situation, I'm going to consider what happened on this job, and see if that can be avoided. So I think a lot of the things that I've learned with building control is it's really important to try and get in front of the design team as early as possible because you do often pick up things that alter the layout change. And it's just kind of approaching it differently and saying to people, I'm here to assist you in your design process, not to to hinder you, not to put obstacles in your way, but also making sure that we get compliance. So your approach to other people is really important. I guess
0: though, the kind of work that we do we're dealing with people's homes and lives, and it is about safety and physical security as much as emotional and financial, as people live in their, you know, in their homes and the roofs over their head or, or or workplaces. And that comes with a real responsibility. You know, if you design something wrong, if we report something wrong, there could be quite detrimental effects. And I think that's quite a a burden for a lot of people, or it can make them quite anxious. And and as surveyors, we are very detailed people. We do like the detail. You know, some of the things that we've talked about, you know, on the, the show notes of the podcast, I always put some links to cases or to things that we've talked about, and I know people will go straight to them to find out. We're as a breed, we're very detailed, but with that comes the layer of emotional responsibility i guess knowing that we do a really important job but also the fear of getting it wrong and and the consequences of of all of that and that means that you know we sort of we talked at, at the start of this conversation about do we need to know everything and actually we feel we need to know everything so we don't get it wrong and that brings in a layer of stress of you know actually you know not feeling good enough but then i've always got to to learn i've got to do the next thing you know i've got to do the next course and we then start to become real not so much sort of achievers but we like to collect letters after our name and uh, you know my dear friend larry has larry um has pretty much the alphabet after his name because he just loves to do the next thing you know and we 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 strive that and Someone said to me, we were in a, in a conversation, a surveyor, and you know, it, you know, his fear is that he doesn't know everything. And his neighbour had said something about, they were talking about building a, a, the house, I can't remember. And so you should know that, you're a surveyor. And, yeah. uh, and I thought, do you know what? No, you don't need to know everything. Because actually, it's your job to know everything. is your, your job to be curious, to be inquisitive, yeah. to be a problem solver. You know, and and perhaps the the definition of a surveyor and what we do in terms of the you know our sort of particular roles is that really more about being a problem solver and we just happen to do it in the world of of property in some form rather than we need to be a know it all and know every single geeky what was it you said was it BS nine double nine double nine no idea what yeah. that is you know somebody <laughs> will somebody on the who'll be listening yeah. to this podcast will will know that or will be right now googling it you know but we sort of get drawn into that but that brings a layer of anxiety doesn't it that you never quite know everything
1: it, it does and I, I think it's something that can plague an early career as well and I also think that generally and I am stereotyping here that women tend to suffer this a bit more than men this this self-doubt and lacking of confidence and I just think you have to look at the positives in your career. You do know a lot. It's about being curious, like you say. And actually, I do think it's problem solving because that's the one thing that I've always enjoyed. When I was studying building surveying, that was the one thing when they gave us an assignment and they gave us a problem to fix. I love that. That was my favorite. And I, I still do it now with fire strategy. And I just think confidence is a huge part of that. It, it really is. But I think you, you don't you have to accept that not everybody is an expert in everything. There's so much out there that you can't possibly know. For example, I would say that there are still times that I need to go back to the regs or the British standards to look at things because I can't possibly retain it all in my head. I've got an idea about something and I need to check it. And that's, that's kind of where you need to be, I think, to say, hang on, this could be a problem. I need to check it and then research it further because you've got the approved documents now from A to R and in addition to that, you've got 27,000 British standards, some of which relate to building, or quite a lot of them do. Or How many 27,000? 27,000 British... 27, British standards, at least. So, do you know, you know what? Nobody can retain all of that information in their head.
0: No, no, they can't. But do you know what? There used to be a programme on TV when I was a kid called You Bet. I can't, oh, yeah. remember, I can't remember who... Who were presented? It was called You Bet, and you'd have like a panel of three celebrity judges, and somebody would come on, and it was like you would bet: can they, from looking at the tail lights of a car, can they tell what type of car it is and what age and that? And I I I, I do you remember it? Yeah, and I (laughs) and I think we should get some. (laughs) We could get some You Bet surveyors. Do you know which you know regulation or which? part of a property this is
1: you know (laughs) i I, I digress (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny because i've worked with people that said oh you must know which paragraph and which page number and that kind of thing this this particular extract is on and i just think you don't but you do need to know where to find it so you don't need to know the page number but you do need to have an idea that there is a british that covers this and you can do searches on the internet which is very useful to, to find that information or have a chat with somebody who knows about that area. Yeah, most people
0: are actually quite helpful. You're right. It's that having that ability to be curious and having that ability to know enough, but then to know where to, to look. And I think that's what surveyors are really special at. If they allow themselves to do that rather than be know-it-alls on all kind of, all kinds of regs and rules. But um, to, you know, to, 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 that's their superpower is to go and explore and to find out, but what they don't always do is allow themselves that enough reflective time, either, you know, beforehand or afterwards to find out those things and to feel reassured because that's also where you learn as well. And if you're just banging jobs out, you know, reflective time isn't just about preventing a claim. It's about learning and growing as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you do on the physical survey as well. You'd make your notes and you'd investigate it at the time, but you also allow yourself time to consider everything that you've seen. And when you write the report, you're still reconsidering it and throwing in potentially other scenarios and making sure you considered everything. So There's absolutely nothing wrong with not knowing everything. It's just, like you say, being curious, problem solvers, knowing where to look, knowing who to ask.
0: And now I feel like such a better surveyor, Rebecca, having talked to you. (laughs) (laughs) Because now I know, but if I don't know anything about building regs, you're going to be my (laughs) go-to. Absolutely. And that's not a problem. (laughs) Rebecca, it's been lovely to talk to you today. Thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference visit us at blueboxpartners.com